Generating traffic and sales can be a challenge for online merchants. But selling on the Walmart marketplace puts your products in front of millions of customers who shop on walmart.com. And right now, sellers who join Walmart Marketplace can save up to 50% on referral and fulfillment fees for the first 90 days. So get started today. Head over to marketplace.walmart.com savings. That's marketplace.walmart.com savings. Welcome to E-Commerce Conversations, a weekly podcast from Practical E-Commerce hosted by entrepreneur Eric Bandholz. What is going on, Internet? Hey, man. Eric Bandles here with e-commerce conversations. Hope all is going well on the other side of the internet. On the other side of the table for me, I got David. You're excited, man. You're yeah, excited. Man. I'm happy to be here. Thank wow. you. I'm glad to have you here. Excited for this conversation and our chat ahead. Why don't you give our listeners a quick recap of who the heck you are? Yeah. So I believe that writing on the internet is one of the greatest opportunities in the world right now. So what I'm about is learning about how to do that and building domain expertise there and then helping other people do it at all sorts of levels. So I teach a course called Rite of Passage and we have the better part of a thousand students every year from all different levels of expertise who come into the cohort. And then I've invested and worked really closely with a few creators who I think are really high potential and I'll work with them to just do really exceptional work. So people like the Cultural Tutor, Ana Lorena Fabrega, who's the chief evangelist for Synthesis. Cultural Tutor's a big account on Twitter, probably has about 1.6 million followers. I put money into what he was doing a few weeks after he had literally just quit his job at McDonald's and just exploded. And then, yeah, teach the course. And then I also have a podcast of my own called How I Write. Yeah, I was doing a little bit of digging because you had a podcast before that called, what, The North Star? Yeah. Walk me through your journey in creating content. Specifically, let's focus on like the YouTube video slash podcast content you're creating. Yeah, so I started The North Star when I was 22 years old. I was young, and I had just been laid off from a job. And I remember being at a gym on the Upper West Side in New York, and I was just totally hopeless. I didn't know what I was made to be doing. I didn't have any sense of purpose or feel like I had any competitive edge whatsoever. And I couldn't find my North Star. So I decided to start a podcast called The North Star Podcast. And over the next few years, I must have interviewed 100 to 150 people about who are they, what do they do, how do they think. And the big insight was this was back before a lot of people had even been invited on podcasts. So I could get names that I wouldn't have been able to get if I started the podcast now. And I learned and I learned and I learned. And eventually I did find my North Star of basically I think of my career in terms of three things. The first is building domain expertise in online writing for very smart, and ambitious people. The second is getting really good at writing and spoken communication. And then the third is having a large and loyal online audience to basically amplify the first two. And that's basically my North Star of what I'm going to. So all these interviews really helped me find what that was. And then I ended up shutting the podcast down because it didn't really align with the other stuff that I was working on. And we can get into how I write later on, but my podcast did fine. It really helped me figure out what I was trying to do with my life, though. And then now I'm working on a show that I really think is my big, bold bet. 
Yeah, I was doing a little bit of digging on it. it. It's really cool how you have the interviews set up, the podcast studio, you know, it's yep. an in-person interview. On YouTube, you have like very specifically designed thumbnails with a, totally. a nice theme to that. I was digging a little bit down your YouTube, you know, history as a YouTube guy myself. And it seems like you've played with the format a little bit, like totally. you've tried different things. Talk about some of the things that you did that didn't particularly work on YouTube and why you think it didn't work. Yeah, I've tried a bunch of stuff. Well, one of the big things is I tried doing YouTube videos that were almost like short video essays. I really like a YouTube channel called The Nerd Writer. There's a great video that they have called How Louis C.K. Writes a Joke, and I love that video. And I was thinking, hey, maybe I can try doing something like that. And I just don't think I had the people around me who were really good in video. I think at times I've spread myself too thin. Oh, let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this. And before we got some outside capital in the business, I didn't really have the financial means to really produce things at the level that I wanted. And I think that with YouTube, you can either go very authentic and kind of made at home, you know, DIY style. And that's not really my vibe. I like to make things really well, have a really high quality bar. And I kind of like going all out on stuff. But the problem is when you try to go all out on stuff and you don't really have the resources to do it, it just doesn't work that well. So I tried making those video essays, didn't work super well. I tried making clips. I was doing a lot of interviews remotely. And there's a sterile lack of connection that comes from a lot of those podcasts and, you know, we tried uploading clips and I think it worked fine, maybe less than fine. And then I sort of took a step back and in September of 2021, I had my first conversations about what would eventually be called How I Write. Originally, the idea for the show was like how I wrote this, right? So Guy Raz has How I Built This and I was like, oh, I'll just do How I Wrote This and... I just worked and worked and worked on the framing of the show. And eventually I landed with how I write. And I said, you know, I'm going to build a studio in Austin where I can host people in person. So that'll change that. I'm really going to invest in this and do whatever I can. And then by having a very distinct framing for the show, I thought that I'd be able to stand out against other interview shows and get really high level guests. And so far that's proven to be right. And I think one of the other things is a show called How I Write doesn't really touch third rail topics, which I also think makes people open in conversation because- What is a third rail topic? A third rail topic is like the war in Israel or like the war in Ukraine or like politics and stuff like that, right? Like when you sort of have free range, you get into that stuff and then people shut down and they close off. Also, it's not just like, tell me about all your trauma, you know, and the hardest things you've ever been through. We'll get to that later. You know, it's like- (laughs) It's also not that like writing ends up being like a very, very good vehicle for a kind of deep conversation that also people haven't really had elsewhere. Well, I mean, almost it's like writing is an extension of yourself. It's, yeah. it's how you communicate. So you're asking them to talk about themselves mm-hmm. and how they want to communicate yeah. their voice to the world. So totally. I can see why people would be very open to that. One of the themes that I've picked up on and one of the things that impressed me is your ability to get, you know, notable people on the podcast. And this goes back to the North Star as well. I want to pick your brain on how you 
specifically do that. Oh, yeah. Because I'm sure it's not just luck and chance. No. And for those who are listening, he had Mark Andreessen on the show. And Mark Andreessen's blocked me on Twitter. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't even What'd you do? I think I ended up hearting or liking one of those uh, VC Braggs posts. Oh, and he, and he probably just auto-blocked me. Because I don't think I've ever, like, replied to anything he's oh, ever interesting. said. But, you know, he's got scripts galore for probably. filtering out. Yeah. Undesirable Had people Tim like Ferriss on yesterday. I saw that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm... Look, I spend a lot of time thinking about what do I just have a knack for? And what sort of comes easily to me that I also enjoy doing that is integrated with the rest of my career. And I spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about these things. And one of the big ones is just getting in touch with high-level people. So I just come alive when I'm around smart people in a way that's hard to explain. It's just so fun to me. And I've always enjoyed being around older men in particular. Like when I was a kid, part of the reason I loved playing golf is I could just go to the golf course and hang out with guys in their 60s and their 70s and their 80s. And we'd walk 18 holes, hit balls on the driving range. And of course we were golfing, but we're really talking about life. And I just think that's the best way to learn. I mean, even now in Austin, I have like five people who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s who I can just, they're almost like bumpers on a bowling alley for just my life. I can throw hard questions at them. I just ask them to just be very blunt and honest with me in terms of feedback. And I learn so much from them. So you meet these people literally on the golf course or how did you? Now I meet them through work and through church. Those are sort of the two places. So a lot of people will be very successful entrepreneurs who are in town who've built, I don't know, big software companies or private equity shops. And then just a few sort of ordinary Texas like men, you know, and I meet them at church. So they've kind of been your guardrails and like really helping you navigate the world, ask you hard questions, not afraid to give you hard answers. Do you find like the older guys get, the more truthful they are in the advice? <laughs> yeah, and I want to come back to reaching out to guests. There's no doubt that they get more truthful. But you know what the biggest thing is? It's just low anxiety. Like anxiety is a very youthful thing for the most part. And I'm a pretty high anxiety person, at least I've been in the past, actually far less now than I used to be, which praise God. But that's a big thing that I just try to take away. It's just a certain peace and just like a sturdiness in the midst of chaos around them. I really admire people like that. Yeah. So Mark Andreessen, how do you get him on the show? Yeah. Well, that one was easy. He had followed me on Twitter for a long time. And basically what I... Do you know how he found you or... I don't, but he follows a lot of people and I've been writing a lot for now the better part of a decade. So probably at some point then. And one of the things that I do is I'll write about people or I'll reply to them and he followed me. I'm not exactly sure how, but I did a few things that were very deliberate that I can go super tactical on. I think the first thing is... I created and I I really invested a lot in a trailer for my podcast. And I think a lot about aesthetics because I think that aesthetics instantly communicate a sense of seriousness and quality in a way that hits the reptilian mind. 
and it's not like I'm reading, writing some description about the show. It's just like, here's my trailer. It's one minute long. And if you watch it, you'll get it. And you'll be like, okay, you're at least taking this podcast more seriously than the average person. And then I wrote the note and I said, hey, Mark, just launched a podcast called How I Write. Special guests have included name one, name two, name three. So I just get some social proof with a few other big names that have been on the show. And then I say, and would love to include you as well. Crazy to ask you to join, question mark. That's it. And I just let the video do the talking. Yeah. Now, I guess it starts with, how do you get that first guest? Obviously, you have the yeah. North Star. Like, you've had a lot of history, yeah. but if someone's listening, they're like, hey, I want to bring high-profile people yeah. on my podcast. I don't want to waste my time. Yeah, I'll just walk through some strategies. So, look you got to have one thing to start with. There's no doubt, right? So for me, my first guest was the cultural tutor who I ended up finding on Twitter is living at home with his parents and basically had no money and I ended up working with him and he had done really well. So he was my launch guest. And then he's not in Austin, so you flew him out here? No, I flew to London. Okay, so you flew to London. I literally flew all over the world to do the beginning podcast. I have a fairly substantial budget sort of yeah. put in for the first year to basically do whatever flying I need to. And then eventually... And who's setting up all the video equipment, audio equipment? Are you doing that too? No. So I have a videographer who I work with, but I design all the spaces. So okay. all the sets and the combination of plants and carpets and chairs and lighting. And I even have coordinated garments that I wear for every episode. But So you go to London to do that. Are you renting a space then? Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah, so there's a hotel in central London called the La Oscar Hotel, and I really like French design, and this is a French-designed hotel. So, yeah, we did it there. And then, like, Mark, same thing. You found a hotel, or <laughs> did you go to his house? No, so Mark's a good story. So we recorded at the Andreessen Horowitz headquarters in off Sand Hill Road in Palo Alto, and... What I did was I got some images of what the space would look like before, and I knew that it wasn't going to be my vibe. So I ransacked my mom and dad's house, got vases, and I got plants, and I got carpets, and I got pillows, whatever I needed. I put it all in my mom and dad's RAV4, stopped for breakfast on the way. The vase that you see right when you walk into my childhood home fell out of the car it exploded on the sidewalk this like group of women run out they're like no 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 the vase was just tortured and i called my mom i was like hey just broke your vase but then we got there about three and a half four hours early and we just marched around headquarters finding whatever we needed to just make the best possible set that we could design yeah yeah it looks great i mean the model work went into that, yeah. you know, like the before, the after. And then also cameras. I mean, you know this from doing the YouTube videos. Cameras can do a very good job of making something that's a 5 out of 10 look like an 8 or a 9 out of 10. Yeah. Well, cameras and lighting. You yeah, know, lighting, lighting is huge. So are you flying with your video producer, editor as well? They come with you to all the shoots or do you hire a remote? We have a team of editors. They're all remote. So we always need to upload the video files, which... Yeah. But I guess like your, whoever's setting up the cameras, who's that? Yeah. So we work with a guy named Jeff and And so he flies out and he meets me there. Yeah. So is it a team of two that's going out or who else is going with you guys? Sometimes I have a podcast producer, so he sometimes flies out with me and I like having three people and sometimes we also have a sound person. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that's quite the production. I like having three people. Yeah. Now these team members, they're not full time with you, right? They're just on a project basis. Yeah, exactly. The videographers on a project basis, sound person always is. And then I have a full time podcast producer, but here's the thing with how content works. And I just think this is increasingly true. I just think it's worth doing an exceptional job with whatever you commit to because content is such a power law, right? So Alex Ramosi has this line where he's like, I will work on a book 10 times harder than the average person. But what I get from that is a thousand X in terms of the long-term organic reach. And I just think that's true. And a lot of what I think about is how do I work harder, not by grind, 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 but I can have a longer time horizon. I can just work on fewer things. So with the same amount of hours, I end up working relatively harder and then really just have a high quality bar and maintain that. And I just think that the returns to really committing to being the best in the world at whatever you do, just continue to go up and up. And I think that that's very undervalued in the modern world. I think that we're sort of polluted with mediocrity and a sense of uncare and just hyper casualness that I think hurts a bunch of creators. Yeah. I mean, I'm in that camp. So no offense taken. I, it's like, I know I, I didn't say I, that I'm, to you a, at I'm all. a uh, quantity over quality right. kind of guy. Right. So it's like, how do I build systems and processes that allow me to produce as much content yeah. as possible? Knowing that, you know, like the YouTube game, like it's almost like throwing darts. You never know right. what's going to hit. So it's like, my fear is I see this and I'm like, okay, you've got, you know, $800 of tickets. You've got $800 of hotel rooms. You've got, you know, $1,000 of editing, podcasting, and then set studio lighting and all that. So like each episode's costing you- Four grand. Okay. Four, four grand, grand yeah. on the road, 1800 bucks at home. Yeah. So $4,000 per episode, I would want to get like 40K in sales for that. Do you feel like it drives that kind of... I think it will. It will. Okay. It will. So it's like having that faith in it. That it'll Yeah. Work. Yeah, I think it will. And I'm also down to fail doing the best work that I possibly can. Yeah. If I'm earnestly doing what I think is the best work that I'm capable of and I fail, so be it. And I'm prepared for that. And But I'm also just like, what's the point of doing the work at all for me if I can't try to make it outstanding. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny because before we hit record, you talked about building your course. And to me is I see a lot of themes. It's like you put a lot of time and energy into the course and then you're pretty much like, well, online courses isn't so much a course building business, but mm -hmm. a marketing business. Mm -hmm. And I almost feel like with your content production, you're producing content, but what is the marketing behind that that helps? I mean, in my opinion, the marketing will kind of do itself on YouTube, or mm -hmm. I know it does, but let's walk through like the current strategy now. We're bringing awareness. It's still to sell courses, mm -hmm. right? But do you want to grow beyond that? Yeah, so perfect question. So the thing that I'm really invested in is I just want to be the guy for extremely smart, ambitious people who want to write and get their ideas out into the world. And I think that smart people read and smart people who are also successful read the most. And therefore, writing will continue to stay really relevant amongst the super high echelon of thinker and person. And I want to be the go-to person for that. So 
that's my like 20 year vision. So then I'm like, how do I work back from that? And there's a few things. It's like, first of all, how do I just keep the cash flow now so I can keep going, right? You don't want to always be going all in because then you just, your risk of ruin is high and you go through the Monte Carlo simulation enough and you're going to go bankrupt. So you don't want that, right? So there's a limit on the downside risk. But then from there, I then try to think of how do I have the most valuable audience within that niche? And I think that there's a lot of things that are really special about podcasts in general that I've just come to appreciate through conversations with my friend David Senra, who runs the Founders Podcast, and then just like being around Patrick O'Shaughnessy and seeing what Invest Like the Best has done for him. And I'm like, okay, what David has with entrepreneurs, what Patrick has with investors, I want to do that for writers and communicators. And that's then my long-term vision that then I work back from. So from a product perspective, Mm -hmm. what does that look like? Yeah. So basically the product that I have right now is a five-week cohort-based course. So what we do is we get a few hundred people in. We have a team of about 35 contractors. They edit every single piece. So I think last cohort, we probably edited 720 pieces with an average turnaround time of like 18 hours over a five-week period, which is pretty good. Like I'm very proud of that capability. Then we have mentors. So if you get, there's groups. So if you get stuck or you just want somebody to talk to as you're working through the emotional challenges of learning to write, you can go to a mentor. And then also we have deep dive guides who basically take different aspects of the course, such as how do you find your voice? How do you tell a great story? How do you think about distribution? And those deep dive guides then dive deep into those subjects beyond what I'm able to teach. So in that, we have about 35 contractors and we do that flagship program twice a year. The other thing that we have is we have a program that we're beginning to build up now that is called Publish in a Day. And basically the whole idea is you come in the morning with an idea and we walk you through the stages of developing that idea, getting the idea out of your head, onto paper, editing, working with editors. And then by the end of the day, by 5 p.m. Central, we actually all go on the computer together. We're all on Zoom together and we all hit publish as a cohort. And then the other thing that I'm really excited about is I'm just trying to think of is there a product that I can build for just really high-level entrepreneurs, investors? Like, for example, I would love to help people write, someone who manages half a billion dollars in capital, write their annual letter that's in public to their LPs and also shared with people who are just interested, sort of like what Buffett did and what Bezos did. And I think that there might be an opportunity to really start working with those sorts of people. And... I'm jazzed about doing yeah. that. And that's more like just consulting and kind of like trading time for money. I, I, I hate saying trading time for money because it kind of yeah. discounts I mean, that's what it. you're actually doing. I mean, but. honestly, it's trading time for money. But if you charge enough for it, it becomes worth it. And the other thing is, say that you work with the CEO of a $20 billion company on the most intimate thing that they'll create all year. And they get to the end, they say, it's one of the best things I've written in my life. And it's thanks to our partnership that I was able to do that. Good things will happen. Yeah. What do you think the rate for something like that is? Like $20,000? I'm thinking a hundred grand a week. hundred grand a week. Yeah. That's what I'm, I'm trying to start with that price point. I'm doing some tests right now with some friends and I'm in the middle of one right now. And I'm like, I'll work with you for free. And then we'll go through this 
and the cost for you is I just need you to write up what would make this worth a hundred grand to you. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking like, I've read like Elon Musk, you know, vision or, you know, part one, part two. Yeah. Part for the Tesla. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Good. And, uh, it is cool because he's just like, and I don't know if he wrote that or if he had help with that or if you know any behind the scenes, but it is kind of interesting to see like what kind of impact a simple letter like that can have. Yeah. Think of day one with Bezos and you just get things compressed and compressed. I always think of great CEOs are just really good sloganeers. And I'm always blown away how when I follow them, they're just telling the same stories over and over and over again. And like I have a few people that I'm tight with in town and literally if they're talking to new people, literally 70, 80% of the things that they're saying, the stories that they're telling, I could tell as well as they can. And what they're doing is they're making little tweaks. They're looking at people's eyes. They're trying to say, where do I get a laugh? Mm-hmm. Where do people really get interested in what I'm saying? They're like comedians, but then they're working out their stories. They're refining their stories, telling the same things over and over again. And then you get company lore. And that's then how you scale a company. That's how you attract investment. And there's a real art to that. There's a real art to that. I just watched a friend for the last year and a half weasel his way down to a three-word slogan. And it's so good. And you can just watch how he finally found the three-word slogan. And he's like, yeah, I spent a year and a half doing it. Totally ROI positive. Yeah. What's the slogan? Two-hour learning. So basically, kids are in school for six hours every day. And he was like, no, you don't need to spend that much time in a classroom. And you don't. Like, the pedagogy that we use in modern education is really atrocious like yeah. once you start looking yeah, don't, at the don't science get me on my uh, anti once you start system. looking at the science you're like what is going on how do we subject kids to such torture and he's like look we can teach kids in two hours per day and so his slogan is two hour learning and then what you do with the rest of the day is you learn real life skills right. so there's a school in town called alpha school and he's the principal and i've just watched what alpha school has done i've spent a lot of time with alpha school kids and I really believe it works, but it's trying to get down to that, trying to get down to that. And I just watch that idea evolve and develop. Yeah. There's a Twitter user, Austin Scholar. I was I with her saying, yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's been interesting to see her post. I, she's an alpha school yeah. student as well. And she's running ads that are in my feed now. So yeah. she's pushing something. Yeah, she is. And of course, I see the little ad. And Started then, writing in Rite of Passage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she had, I don't think she'd ever published something. And she came in to write a passage, and she started going. So officially on the advisory board for Austin oh, Scholar. Yeah, she yeah. reached out to me. She was in high school. She's like, hey, David, would you mind being on the advisory board? You know, I'm nervous. I'm like, of course I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine that it kind of like warms your heart to see, you know, your tools and your guidance and your expertise and your coursework help elevate and level up people. The best. That's what it's about. I'm biased towards Twitter yep. because I think the medium – forces you to be concise with your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And if you can't create something, obviously there's long threads that, you know, you can dive into as well, but, you know, to to be able to have something so remarkable and impactful before it scales, you know, or before it starts hiding the show more, I think is a really impressive skill. Yeah. And there's some people I follow and it's just like your skills at communicating blow my mind Mm -hmm. like it's just i can't comprehend 
And, and I guess like how much of that is ingrained and how much ability is there to, to learn that? Communication skills? Yeah. Obviously a little bit of both. But we talk about how you improve your writing, how you improve your speaking. And I think that there's fairly simple ways to do it. I think that with writing, I always use a framework called POP writing. So it stands for personal, observational, and playful. And I actually think any communication just benefits from these three things. Personal is telling stories about yourself that often just provide credibility. For example, no one wants to read the person who's like, oh, I have a Harvard PhD and an MBA from Especially not now, right? Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> right? And nobody likes that. It's so much better to share a personal story that communicates your expertise. For example, with you is, hey, here's what you have to know about hairspray. And here's all the things that I've learned and the experiments that I've tested. And then that then gets you into observational, which is what are insights? How is your writing useful? What are you teaching your readers? And then finally, playfulness. And playfulness is you have that personality on the page, the things that make you distinct that are just like, yeah, this is just sort of what I do. And writing really benefits from having all three pillars of what I call pop, personal, observational, and playful. And then for speaking, it's super simple. Like what I'll do is I'll roll back this entire podcast after it goes live and I will listen to the entire thing. And I'll listen for different speech patterns, my cadence of storytelling, what anecdotes did I bring in? What was my tempo like? Did I need to speed up, slow down? And all I do is I listen to myself and I watch myself talk and I synthesize that. And then I just have a few little one-liners that I keep top of mind. Go from there. Yeah. Well, a little bit of heads up. Our editor will truncate it. No ums in there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if she's got any now ums and stuff like that, but like long pauses in between some of the conversations to help make it really nice and snappy. Yeah. Where can people follow you, support you, find you, buy your course? Yeah. So probably the best thing is perel.com, P-E-R-E-L-L.com. The course is called Rite of Passage, Write with a W. Check that out. And then also probably like the show, How I Write, if you just want to learn about writing. Yeah. And Twitter too. Yeah. We got a lot of Twitter followers. Uh, Yeah. Twitter. I'm with you. I love Twitter. Also, Twitter's, the thing about Twitter right now is it's really supporting rich media content. So if you have an image or a video, your reach is basically doubled. Yeah. Just text only tweets are really being deprioritized. And I was just trying to think about how do I lean into that, you know? Yeah. What's your Twitter handle? David underscore Perel. There you go. Some guy from like 2008 got David Perel. I don't know who he is. Probably. Well, you got Perel.com. So I mean, you won. My dad bought that in 97. Uh, Good for him. Good foresight. I was like, dad, can I please have it? He's like, okay, son, take it. (laughs) (laughs) Do the family proud. Yeah, exactly. All right, guys, this has been another e-commerce conversations. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Learned a thing or two like I did. Cheers. Keep on growing. Keep on growing. Thanks, man. (laughs) 